0: Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Guess who's back? Back again. It's she us. Back. back again. <laughs> okay, Norma. Let's get it. Let's get it. You're not recording this. I am. Okay. Hi, everyone. This is Priscilla. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. And this is Norma. And you're listening to
1: It's the the Mystery mystery for for Me. me.
0: It's Tuesday, so you know what that means. It's not Tuesday. Well, when we put this up, it'll Uh, be Tuesday. Well, damn, Norma. Ruin it for everybody. (laughs) Anyways, welcome back to It's the Mystery for Me. Glad to have you guys back here and listening to another episode. We are on track 18. It's getting up there. Mm Mm-hmm. And we do appreciate your support. If you are somewhat intrigued by this podcast and what we're doing, please go ahead and submit a review via Apple Podcasts, because that seems to be one of the only places that allows for reviews. Um, Give us five stars if you're feeling it. I wrote down a goal that I would love to hit 10,000 listens by, I don't know, like December 31st. So we're going to, yeah, so we're surpass, we're definitely going to surpass that. And I think next year, my goal is going to be a hundred thousand. Why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Why not? It's reaching a lot of people from different places. I mean, people from England and just like Europe generally, of course, people here in the U S so somehow people are listening and getting the word out because we're doing very minimal promo, if any at that literally there's barely any promo for this so that's why it is shocking for us because of course we knew like okay our friends are gonna listen and even then I was mm-hmm. like okay not all our friends are gonna listen because not all of them are like into true crime and so I knew not a lot of them were gonna listen and also they have like really busy lives so I was mm-hmm. just like well hopefully they listen um mm-hmm. But I mean, now that we're approaching that many listens, I'm like, okay, clearly more people than our friends are listening. They're spreading the word. They're spreading the word. Which I appreciate. I really do. And shout out to my friend Anika, because you know what? She'd be out here just posting the show and everything. And I really appreciate her. We've been friends for many, many years since like, I want to say high school. Then we went to college together. But yeah, thank you so much, Anika. Like, I really appreciate it. I really do. So, what's up? So I'll shout someone out since we're doing shout outs. Sure. Shout out to EJ. Um, he's one of my Balsa members. He's alumni chair, and okay. he is just always commenting on like, "Oh my gosh, we just listened to the episode. That's so crazy. I can't wait for next week." Oh my so gosh! So thank you, EJ. Shout for out to our, you EJ know, being what's so supportive. Happened? That's so cool. Yeah. I love it. I love supportive friends and stuff and just supportive people generally, like supportive strangers. We love to see it. We love to hear it. So if you are feeling it, again, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just, I don't know, send us an email. We get some emails from time to time from people as well, just like suggesting cases, we do take suggestions, yeah. so go ahead and do that. And of course, you can always DM us on Instagram or just drop me a comment because you feel like it. So no one has DM'd me yet <laughs> because your page is on private. Uh, oh, I didn't realize. Yeah, normal. Oh, right. Yeah, your right. page is on private. I thought it's because I'm not like super active on Instagram. No, your page is on private. Okay. I'm the sister that likes my page on Damn. public, and that's just been my thing. I don't know. I have a little razzle dazzle in me. I don't know what it is and I have a little razzle dazzle. I just keep not it. Not as much as me. I keep it hidden. I keep my low. Yeah, yeah Norma's very conservative and I'm the complete opposite. I say what I you know, whatever comes to mind, I say it. Well, I mean I, I usually think before I say it. But let's go ahead and turn to some other things. I mean we talked a lot about what what, just like podcast stuff. Tell people what you're up to, because I feel like people wanna kind of know. That's one comment I've gotten. What am I up to? Yeah, what was your, you know, what'd you do this past weekend? Oh, I just like this past in week. life. I was just like, well, still law student. Right, right. Um, so that has not changed. Um, pray for me, y'all. It ain't easy. Yeah, that bar exam coming up. It ain't easy. Yeah, and then like the bar exam questions and like practice questions. So she's busy. She's also the president of her Black Law Student Association, y'all. I mean, bravo, Norma. I am. I am. You know, representing for her people. Absolutely. We love to see it. Yeah. Some people hate to see it, but we love to see it. We love to see it. Um, um, so I don't know what else is really going on. I mean. Nothing really popping up. I on. feel like I, I've been going out a lot. You have. Lately. Yeah. With Amanda yes with amanda my college roomie yeah they've been hanging out every weekend guys i started to think maybe norma's hanging out with some dude and there's some, or some significant dream. other maybe it it's no mystery maybe man. it's a man duh right it could be oh that my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you never know but anyways you've been going out a lot mm-hmm. i mean good for you live your life well, I'm still in my 20s, you know. What does that mean? Because I'm, I'm just. Okay, but I want to make sure that, like, I. Norma, you are 29, girl. You got a few months left. I know, exactly. That's about, why I'm, I'm in like, my 20s. Like, she's I have in a few months prime. left to. Well, let me tell you, it gets better in your 30s. So, anyways, off of you, off the topic of you, onto the topic of me, I ain't doing nothing but adulting. And, y'all, it's harder than I thought. Adulting is just a lot of responsibility. That's all, I, all I'm really saying. I'm in the mm-hmm. process of moving to a new place. So I think the sound is going to be even better because right now we sit next to a window. But at my new place, I think we could sit in my like walk-in closet or something. And it'll muffle. Fancy. Oh. Walk-in closet. Oh, my God. Just a little fancy. I deserve luxury. Black people deserve luxury, too. It's true. You it's know true. what I'm saying? You Not work hating. hard. You earned it. My dad don't understand it. He don't know why I'm throwing so much money at rent, but he don't got to understand it. <laughs> I'm he, like, Dad, he's I'm 30. probably 30. right, though. He, he's I mean, a, He's listen, a smart man. He is right, but I'm 30, and I could do what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, he is right, but you're right, too. Exactly. Norma's daddy's little girl, so, I mean, are we surprised by her response? All right, enough chit-chat. Um, <laughs> so let's get into today's... Um, episode so of course we're bringing you guys yet another cautionary tale it is a solved case so you will have some sort of aha at the end like yes they got insert person's Mm -hmm. name okay um but of course you're gonna feel icky a little bit as we go through the story as always because there is no winners in these stories right like no matter how it ends there's never a winner. Someone is always going There's through always something. A victim. There's always a victim. You right. Know. There's always some tragic element to the story. I mean, it's kind of with the theme of the podcast, too. So keep that in mm-hmm. mind. Um, so for today's sources, I watched an episode of Relentless with Kate Snow. Think about like on the case with Paula Zahn, kind of like that. Mm. It's on Oxygen. Um, and it's season one, episode six. They did a pretty thorough episode about the person we're going to talk about, um, interviewing family, friends, the judge on the case, detectives. So you get a lot of details. Um, And surprisingly, I only found two articles on this case, one that was published in 2006 by ABC News and the other one published by Oxygen. And usually Oxygen publishes these articles when they're releasing the show. And it happened in 2006? No, this happened in 2001. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we're journeying back to Atlanta. 2001 It's just going to be a different time. I think that's all I have to say for that part. So here we go. This is the Demetria Hill case. Demetria Dee Dee Hall was born on November 15th, 1982, making her a Scorpio. Her mom, Sharon, describes her as quite the character on the show, Relentless. She says that Demetria was always laughing and joking around with friends and just loved entertaining people. She met her BFF at 10 years old, Tamala, who also goes by Tam or Tammy, and she remained pretty close with her throughout the years. Um, Tamala is actually going to be a big part of the story. So just keep that name in mind. Demetria was also a young teen mom. She had her son DeMarco when she was around 16 years old. So of course she had mommy duties, but she still stuck to her studies and she graduated from high school. She even went on to start at some sort of like technical college. Her end goal was to become, eerily enough, a forensic scientist. Sorry, you guys, I got my notebook. I took notes because I literally had basically one article because, I mean, if we don't count the second article because it's linked to the actual show I watched, it's technically one article. That's basically the extent that I know about Demetria and who she was as a person And I'm sorry, where did she grow up? Atlanta. So I would think there would be more articles. That's what I thought, but no. Okay, so let's talk about the day that Demetria goes missing. It was December 3rd, 2001. At this point, Demetria is 19 years old. Um, She often went out with Tammy and um, they would just go out and hang out, like walk around the neighborhood, that kind of thing. On December 3rd, 2001, Demetria walks to the gas station with her best friend, Tamala. And on her way there, she actually sees her mom who's driving to their home. Um, And her mom waves at her and everything. And little did the mom know that would be the last time she'd see Demetria alive. That's really sad. Very sad. At this point, they're walking to the gas station. They get there and there's some dude in a Camaro, a black Camaro, and he's kind of honking his horn at um, Demetria and Tamala. They go inside to buy a soda because that's what they were there for. Um, And when they come out, you know, it seems like Demetria spoke to him a little bit and he said like, hey, I want to take y'all out to eat. If y'all get in the car, like I'm gonna take y'all to a restaurant. And did that, they get in the that, car? You know, that don't sound right. Right. Doesn't sound right. Red flag. Right, right, right. Immediately, I'm thinking red flag. But if you're thinking, I mean, she's a teenager. Free um, meal. Free meal. Why mm-hmm. not? The mm-hmm. guy is charming. He's handsome. He's right, right. in this car. You know what I mean? It could be like, she's probably thinking, no big deal. And... I think she was also thinking, well, I'm with Tamala, my best friend. There's, you know, both of us could take him. You know what okay. I'm saying? Okay. I think that was her mindset. So they get in the car and they do end up at the restaurant. They have a meal and everything is all copacetic. The stranger with the Camaro, right? He drops off Tamla at her grandma's house because I don't know if her grandma called her or something, but she needed to go over to her grandma's house. So they pull up to the grandma's house. Tamla's talking to her grandma. And then she notices like that the lights are kind of like backing away. So like she could tell like the car's backing out. And so she kind of like turns around and like kind of chases after the car. Like, Demetria, where are you going? And she's like, Well, I'm gonna go take a ride with him. Like, I'll be right back. And she's like, are you sure? Like, and she's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna call you in like a half hour. And then she goes off with him. Unfortunately, Tamla never sees Demetria again. She's worried at this point because she's like calling her phone repeatedly. She's just like, I hope she's okay. And then eventually she calls Demetria's mom. And she asks her, like, you know, is Demetria home? And she's Mm -hmm. like, her mom's kind of confused because her mom thought Demetria was either with Tamla or at her grandma's house, meaning Demetria's grandmother's house. Because Demetria split her time between her grandmother and her mom's house. Like her son would go, her and her son would go back and forth. Mm -hmm. They don't really explain like why, but, you know, family and stuff. And that's just how things shook out. Shake out? What the I fuck is the know. word? What, what's she out? I don't know. I meant to say, like, that's just how things were. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> there's no explanation. It's just like, that's, that's what the situation was. Okay. So, at this point, the mom is, like, alarmed because this is not like Demetria. Like, not to call. You know, she has a young son. At this mm-hmm. point, guys, her son is three years old. She, like, the mom is just freaking out. Sharon's like, what the hell's... I'm going to go to the cops. So she goes to the police station and the detective there takes the missing person's report. And he's taking it pretty seriously because of the fact that she has a young child. He's like, okay, this is like, you know, this could be something more than just like an adult who decided to walk away type Mm -hmm. thing. Like he feels like maybe there's foul play involved, but you guys know how that goes with the 24 or 48 hour rule, depending on the jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So, The mom was kind of like, you know what? I ain't going to waste no more time. I'm going to go look for her myself. Um, But before I get more into that, I just want to point to something that the detective like brought to light during the episode. He said that he was the only missing persons detective in Atlanta at the time. And he was averaging over a thousand cases a year. That's insane. Right. What? So you can just imagine that. Uh, many, 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 many cases fell through the cracks. How could anyone actually be found? Like, there's no resources to do that. There's one one man team. Exactly. And you were pointing out earlier that, you know, Atlanta's this big city, right? You would think Mm -hmm. there's reports on it. I mean, look at this. They don't even... They have one person at the time in 2001 had one detective working missing person. 2001. 2001. 20 years ago. Right. So her mom was like, I'm going to take this into my own hands. And her mom actually starts to go out and canvas neighborhoods. She's talking to people because Tamala does know two things about this stranger. She knows that he drives a black Camaro. Mm -hmm. Right. Actually, three things. She knows that he has a North Carolina license plate. okay, And she knows that his first name is Joe. That's it. And Joe is a very generic name. So she didn't get the license plate number? No, she wasn't thinking to, right? Like, she just knew it was from North Carolina. So, like, the mom at this point goes out and starts canvassing different neighborhoods. And she's just basically asking everyone and anyone, like, please be on the lookout for my daughter. Have you seen my daughter? This is what she was wearing last. You know, just giving them, like, some sort of backstory. And the judge who ultimately presides over this case makes such a good point. Um, Not for nothing, he's a black judge. Yes, black man. Um, So he says that, that Sharon going out and canvassing the neighborhoods was actually a plus in the investigation because we know that black communities and just minority communities in general Mm -hmm. don't have good relationships with police officers. So Mm -hmm. police goes through the neighborhood, you know, canvassing and stuff. People don't want to talk. People not trying to, you know, people just not trying to talk to cops. True. Um, Now, for what reason? I mean, that's another deep dive, right? But All of a sudden, Sharon's going in and she's personable. She looks like them and they're willing to open the door to her. They're willing to talk to her. So, I mean, I think that was a a really good point. Like, so she's able to make a lot more progress than if they sent out police officers to do their job, which, again, it's like very it's all very confusing. All of her hard work pays off because she gets a call from a family friend that says, hey, that car you're looking for is in our apartment complex right now. So what does Sharon do? She rides out to the apartment complex, and when she gets there, the car is gone. But instead of just leaving, she was like, let me just canvas this apartment complex. Mm-hmm. So she goes door to door. She's asking people questions again. She's like, have you seen my daughter? If you see her, can you call me? Do you know this dude? You know, mm-hmm. it's pretty brave, like putting yourself out there and asking these questions because you don't know who this dude is. You know what I'm saying? You don't know what mm-hmm. kind of power he holds in the street. I'm just saying, you know, mm-hmm. it's very brave, but I love it. All per her work, once again pays off because a girl who lives in the apartment complex calls her and says, listen, I know that guy you're looking for. And I know his last name. His last name is Brown. I mean, what kind of generic? I know it's like Judge Joe Brown. Um, this guy, his name really is Joe Brown, Joseph Brown. So she has his last name. And the girl also says in this part, I, I think the mom began to panic. She's like." Yeah, so I actually hung out with him. He picked me up one day. He just offered to take me for food. And then she's like, then he assaulted me. Like, he, like, was beating me up and doing all kinds of stuff. So the mom's worried at this point because she's like, oh, no, this is the dude that, like, Demetria was with. Mm -hmm. So this also is such a crazy part. But the girl ends up taking Sharon to the guy's house what yes Sharon pulls up to Black Camaro's crib y'all and she ready so she knocks on the door <laughs> and she he opens it and she's like where's my daughter you know he's probably like well, what are you talking about and she's mm-hmm. like Demetria she was with you I know she was where is she and he's like listen, I saw your daughter that night, but I dropped her off at her friend's grandmother's house. So back off type of thing. Mm-hmm. Now Sharon leaves, but Miss Sharon ain't stupid. She's like, uh-uh, I believe Tamla. Mm-hmm. Tamala is not going to lie about this. I mean, mm-hmm. she said that she saw Demetria drive off with this dude. Mm-hmm. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to tell the detectives about this. And this break in the case and have them go and ask him. And she also makes it a point to say that she just did not get good vibes from this dude. What's interesting is the detective goes to see homeboy and he has a completely different feeling about him. He's like, he's a nice dude. He's the type that you probably would grab a beer with right yeah it was such a stark contrast okay he said he goes in the apartment because he invites him in he's like yeah i'll help like let me know what you need and he's like oh there's a bible on the table now you know he probably plays that there so i don't know but the detective is just like talking to him he's like do you know demetria like and he's like yeah i do know her truth of the matter is, we did come back to my place. We did have consensual sex. And then I dropped her off at Tamala's grandmother's house. And the detective is like, Okay, um, that's it, you know, and he's just like, Yeah, that's it. So the detective can't really do much with that information because the detective says on the show relentless, like, there wasn't much for him to go off on like right Mm -hmm. there. You know, Mm -hmm. he couldn't arrest him he didn't have a body or anything like that right. and you know he didn't have any evidence against homeboy so it's like mm, I ain't going I'm not gonna arrest him um well technically it's like I can't arrest him it kind of goes cold for a while the case is going cold I mean at this point it's a few months into 2002 and then something else happens Joe Brown right hmm he ends up being arrested for some type of assault against a co slash boo thing. Now let's get into that story a little bit because this story is kind of like, also helps to break open the case. He works with somebody named Kim at a hospital. Like, she is like some type of tech with OBGYN people. And he's like, The the person that comes and draws blood. So they strike up a conversation and stuff. And she's like, at first they started off as friends and then it kind of got more serious. But she said she didn't want nothing like serious with him, though. Like she just wanted it to be like a casual relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. the kids these days, we call it a situationship. So... That's what she wanted. Um, You know, she had her own thing going on. The show talks about the fact that she had two daughters. She had just moved from Tennessee. In fact, she was still in the process of completing the move. And she expressed that to Joe. And Joe actually volunteers to help her. He's like, I will take the five-hour drive to Tennessee and help you bring back whatever. Now, here's the interesting part. The drive was supposed to happen on December 3rd. December 3rd is the day that Demetria and Tamala meet Joe and that Demetria Mm -hmm. ends up going missing, Mm -hmm. right? Turns out that he totally skips out on Kim that day. She calls him and calls him and calls him and she never gets an answer. And she's pissed because she's like, I just planned to drive to Tennessee. Like, you told me you're going to come with me. And then what? You don't even answer the damn phone? Child. That's definitely a red flag. That's definitely a red flag for sure. I mean... At this point, we have six flags. There's like so many red flags in the air. OK, just from that one story, because, well, I should say by the end of this one story, you'll definitely be like, oh, yeah, we have six flags. Why? There's more? There's more. Oh, yeah, there's more. So it also turns out, and I don't know if she's the co-worker that says it, but he missed two days or so of work after December 3rd. So he was out. And when he comes back, he got scratches on his face, y'all. Mm Mhm. Mhm. no come on joe right so at this point you might be thinking okay wait when like sharon meets him and when the detectives meet him do they like even notice he has scratches it doesn't come up so that you know that also confused me i'm like did they not ask him but it could be that like he gave some total like a weird explanation for it like oh i i don't know my cat scratched me I don't know but it didn't seem like a point of um contention it didn't seem mm-hmm. like a point that was really focused on on the show like mm-hmm. they they kind of mentioned it and i saw it also in an article but oh well i should say in the article because there, there's basically <laughs> no articles but yeah mm-hmm. um it comes up but just wanted to like kind of put that out there so you guys can kind of have a visual at this point. So. With Kim, he tries to make it up to her a few weeks later. And she, she's dodging him. She's just like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But one day she gives in and he comes over to her house. Um, it looks like we're in early 2002 at this point, like I said earlier. And um, she's in her room. And she's like, I don't know if she's picking out clothes from her closet or something. But he comes up behind her and strangles her. She says at this point. She is fighting for her life and she's just in her head saying do not pass out. Do not pass out. And then her adrenaline kicks in. I don't know how she gets loose. She runs to the bathroom, locks herself in there and this part I was just like, Kim you go girl. She grabs a curling iron, wraps it around her hand and chases this fool out of her house. Like literally chases him. He runs out of the house because she's like you know, I'm about to well, clock you well, upside the head. But what was the reason for trying to strangle her? I don't know. And she said this Some was the first fantasy? time that wow. that had happened. And she's, you know, she had been working with him for a few months. And she's like, I've never seen the side of him. So, of course, she reported it to the police. And he ends up getting arrested So when he gets arrested for this, the detective who is working, you know, Demetria's case sees it as an opportunity to talk to him once again. And that's what they do. So they bring him to the interrogation room and they ask him about Demetria again. And this time his story changes a little bit. He says like, you know, that they had, you know, consensual sex at his apartment and that he... Instead of dropping her off, he said they go to another location where they had very rough sex. Anytime I hear this in a true crime story, I just know that this person is trying to set up a narrative just in case they find a body just in case there's a murder. Mm -hmm. Because they're basically trying to say, well, it was rough consensual sex gone wrong and I accidentally killed this person. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. no. No, no, no. Okay? But... Listen, the detective was not born yesterday. He kind of had a feeling this was probably probably what he was trying to do. But it was a big red flag to him that he had changed the story, right? He had been so yeah. consistent before. And all of a sudden, he, he adds this additional part. And then he says, you know, then I dropped her off at Tamla's grandmother's house. Again, at this point, the detective does not have enough to hold him. They don't have a body. They don't have anything, but he does pull his rap sheet. And when he pulls his rap sheet, y'all, he realizes that Joe Brown has quite a track record. He has several convictions for strangling women. Several. Okay, at this point I'm like, how is he out in the streets? Right. He was kicked out of high school for behavior issues he was discharged for the military from the military for the same reason hmm. he just had a history of not only strangling women kidnapping women assaulting like just different things but all like violence against women <laughs> i it doesn't mean doesn't look very good for joe isn't it's not looking good for line. this For this fool, for lack of better word, because I had another word in my mind. How old is Joe? You know what? They never really say. I would say he's probably in his, uh, I would say late 20s at that point. Um, I can try and look up his, let me see if the one article I have has his age. Yeah, it doesn't say how old he is, which is interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, from the pictures that I saw, he looked like he was in his, like, mid to late 20s. You know, something like that. Um, Pretty much prowling on younger women is the vibe I got. Um, Because after this, a lot of other women were coming forward and saying, you know, this guy picked me up. Oh, my God. And he took me to a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Wow. It was just coming out the woodworks. But again, they couldn't. Hold him for the Demetria stuff because they didn't have any evidence. They needed a body. Mm-hmm. They needed something. And yes, there has been there have been cases where there's no body and there ends up being a conviction and like the person is if still held like, accountable. If he confesses, you know. It's... Well, a little bit of confession, yes, and a lot of circumstantial yeah. evidence yeah. and a lot of faith in a, the jury system. Mm-hmm. Um, but. All right, back to um, Demetria and and the So they don't have anything on him at this point to do, like, for, like, a search warrant of his car? No, there's not. Actually, when he's in... Actually, I think it's during this interview that they do search his car, but they find no trace of Demetria. Like, there's no evidence at all. They really are at a point in the investigation where they're like, okay, this is, again going cold like yeah. we know who this man is he clearly has issues but we can't prove you know or tie him to Demetria Hill but that's all about to change After this, I'm guessing the detective told um, Demetria's mom about like his findings and, you know, Joe's rap sheet and stuff. And she's at work one day and she just is kind of like, why the heck am I at work when my daughter's missing? And for some reason, she decides to drive to Joe's house again. And this at this point is spring 2002, around April. And she knocks on his door and he invites her in. And I'm pretty sure she goes inside and has this conversation with him. And she just says, where is my daughter? Like, tell me where she is. And he gets so infuriated, he basically throws her out of his house. And then he has the audacity to drive to the police station and make a report about the situation. Wow. Basically saying that she's harassing him and Mm. yeah exactly i'm like you got some damn cojones at this point because you're the last person her daughter was seen with like you kind of have to understand why she's acting this way and on top of that you have a tendency to hurt women like strangle them, assault them, mm-hmm. etc. Like you have a pattern. So why shouldn't she believe that you, you know, all of a sudden didn't have that pattern when it came to Demetria, her daughter? Mm-hmm. Come on. Let's go fast forward to September, 2002, because huge, huge, huge thing happens. A deacon of a church is outside kind of surveying the land. They were going to have work done to the land and in the wooded area, he comes across a skeleton. And he immediately calls the cops and the police come and they they ask Sharon, who's Demetria's mom. They ask her for Demetria's dental records because the body is I should say, very badly charred, meaning it was set on fire. What? Right. So literally all that was left. And it's September 2002 at this point. She went missing December of 2001. Her body has been outside exposed to all kinds of like weather and animals and all that. For almost a year. Wow. Okay. So they just tell her, listen, we found the body of a female. They were able to detect that. And they're like, you know what? Just bring in the dental records and let's see if it's a match. And guess what? It was a match. Mm -mm -mm. Let me tell you guys what else the medical examiner could determine. Um, They knew that the manner of death was likely homicide because they were able to... By strangulation? Well, no. I know that seems to be very common in all our episodes. But they actually could not determine the cause of death. So they knew, Okay, what they were able to determine was that she was set on fire after she was killed, but they just didn't know how she was killed. And the show Relentless points this out and says that basically this is a great thing for a defense attorney, because you could then say, well, we don't know how she died. You know, we don't even know what was done type of thing. So fine but for a family and for everyone like kind of dealing with this, it's like very tragic very traumatic like they don't have the answers and again her remains were skeletons I mean her remain was literally a skeleton for him to do this behind a church I'm just like boy if you weren't gonna get karma before I don't even want to know what kind of karma you get for doing something like that on church grounds. Oh, my God. The audacity. The audacity of this man, Joe Brown. Such a basic man. Very bizarre. He said he had, like, behavioral and, like, anger issues. Totally. Kind kind of almost feels, like, satanic a little bit. Right. Behind a church? I mean, behind a church. Why a church? And you set her on fire? Right. What was that about? and he was okay just leaving the- oh my gosh i'm sorry i'm very superstitious you just don't do like i don't know when you go mm-hmm. to places like churches they're holy grounds mm-hmm. places like a cemetery holy grounds mm-hmm. right like you probably curse your whole generation of family like to right. come after you right oh my goodness but anyways like aside from that the whole thing is just like bizarre and tragic because why why? You killed her and then you set her on fire? Like, that has to be what basic people like Joe Brown do. That's, it's just horrible. It's a lot. Um, sure is. And at this point, Sharon is convinced that it's Joe Brown. But guess what? They survey, like, the scene. They check it out. And, guys, there is no evidence tying Joe Brown to the scene. None. Wait, what? Yeah, no evidence. No no DNA evidence. Nothing. You mean that someone else did this? I'm not saying someone else did this. I'm just saying there's no evidence tying him to the scene. So, okay. There's no evidence of, like... So, okay, there's no evidence tying him to the scene, so... How, you know, like, what's... Can he even be arrested? What's the charge? Like, what's... Um... I mean, I thought you said that this case was closed. Yes, it is closed, and it is solved, and we've about to head down that path right now. Let's just turn that way now, I guess. So, a year passes since the body is found, and he is arrested for strangling and kidnapping his girlfriend. Right, so... They bring him in and this time, I think what I honestly think what ends up happening just based off of like what I read and what I watched is that he probably felt like he was in a corner, right? They just probably told him, listen, we're going to take this to trial. We feel like there's enough evidence. Like you clearly have a pattern. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, there are evidence rules that are going to keep some of that stuff out. I know. That's literally what I started thinking. Literally. Like. It's not, yeah, it's very hard. I mean, if you show, like, that it's for another reason, fine, certain evidence like, could come in. Like, maybe motive? Like, I started Right. Of like, so, basically, what me and Norma are thinking about in our minds, but mm-hmm. I'm going to articulate it to everybody else, is when you're on trial for something, let's say you're on trial for, like, I don't know, stealing a bike, um, the, technically the prosecution is not supposed to say, well, like, you stole a bike. You stole a bike, like when you were ten. So, so because you did that, you're likely- it means that you did this. Yeah. So ta da, that's my case. So technically, you're not supposed to do that, okay? But there are evidence rules that circumvent that, and if you can bring it in and show like you brought it in for motive, for or reason, for other reasons basically, yeah. then it can come in. Then you are allowed to do that. So listen. They might have found another way to bring it in. And it scared him enough that he took a plea deal. Yes, he took a plea deal. They probably said, we're going to bring this up in court. There's a clear pattern. You were the last person with her. The jury is going to believe that you did something to her and you're going to get time in prison for murder. And so. he already was battling this other charge of his girlfriend now and the charge against, that his co-worker brought against him for strangling her oh, and in her apartment. Right. So he had a bunch of charges coming up. So he probably was like, you know what? Let me take a plea deal. So what was the plea deal? So the plea deal was that he would plead guilty to aggravated assault as it pertains to Demetria. Her family... As you can imagine, we're not happy with this. They're like, he murdered her. It was not aggravated assault. Mm-hmm. But at this point, prosecution kind of has to like, there's like give and take here, right? Like they want him to go to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes you got to give a lesser charge for that to happen. Prosecution probably also knew that their case wasn't like solid yeah, all the way. enough. Right? You so- know. If they know their case isn't strong all the way, they might, they're more lenient and they're willing to give certain plea deals. Now, with the aggravated assault charge, it carries up to 20 years in prison, but he could get one year probation. That's the minimum. So the family was worried. If he had gotten one year probation, he literally would have gotten out of jail that day. Um, But luckily... The judge on the case ends up sentencing him to the full 20 years in prison. Now, as it pertains to the charge against his girlfriend, or I mean, the girlfriend had against him, he got an additional 10 years for that charge. And I think it was like a combination of like kidnapping and I don't know what other stuff, but like, you know, she was strangled. So, you know, he faced a whole other charge about that. I don't know what happened with the charge that Kim brought against him, right? Like, they might have just said, listen, Kim, he's already going to prison for this stuff. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I I didn't see anything that said, like, oh, he got this amount of time for doing this to Kim. I just saw, like, okay, he got 10 years for the ex-girlfriend. He got, well, I'm assuming it's his ex-girlfriend at that point. So at this point, 30 years in prison. But notice that it's not, like, 30 years to life, right? It's not... Anything like that, which means that 30 years is the maximum amount of time that he will spend in prison. And if he has good behavior, he could be out in less time. Mm-hmm. It's not like, okay, when you get like something like 30 to life, okay, you could get out after you pass the 30 years and even sometimes before that, but you have to continuously go before parole board and they have to decide if you are fit enough to get out. mm mm-hmm. When you get a sentence like, just like, okay, 20 years in prison, 30 years in prison, that means you are guaranteed to get out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're guaranteed to get out eventually. There's no parole board telling you, like, sorry, we don't think you are fit. No. They're just like, all right, you did your time. Go out into society. And the troubling thing about this is, like, Joe is still going to be a functioning older man. I mean, he could be in his sixties by the time he gets out, but like, can a person really change a person like Joe Brown, who has a history starting very young of this like type of, honestly, mental health issue, right? Like, can he really change? Honestly, I feel like he's a danger to society. They talked to Sharon about this verdict, and um, she was not super happy about it, right? But at the end of the day, the end goal was to get him behind bars, and he is behind bars. DeMarco, who is Demetria's son, um, at that point, what, in 2001, he was three. So, which means what? He's probably, like, he's 20-something at this point. Mm -hmm. The young 20s, early 20s. Um, he doesn't really re- remember much, but he does remember going to court and watching the sentencing. And he says on the show Relentless how cold Joe appears. Like he just seems so nonchalant, like he doesn't care. Hmm. And that was disturbing. You know, he was seven years old and he recognized this emotion, you know, or rather lack of emotion in a human being. I mean, I can't even imagine what that does to a, a kid. And just a little bit about Tamala. I'm sure people are wondering this, but she does feel a lot of guilt. At the end of the day, though, if and she listens to that, a little bit this, of, like, sorry, a little bit of, like, survivor's guilt, too. Yeah. Oh, you know? 100%. Yeah. Because it's just like, she could have also have just been in that car, too, you know? And right. Could have went crazy and killed the both of them. Right. You know, I feel, I feel mm-hmm. really bad for Tamala. I can't, I can't imagine what she's feeling between survivors guilt or any other type of guilt i can i can only imagine you know your best friend being lost in this way but you were young at the time you you know you guys were impressionable teenagers it's not your fault if anything we should be faulting joe brown for doing this right like that's who Absolutely. that's who the blame should be on mm-hmm. no one else except for joe brown mm-hmm. joe basic ass brown i agree and I also just think, like, it's sad that, you know, he was assaulting and kidnapping all these women previously before she had to die. Right. Like, that's that's the part that I kind of don't understand. Like, did he even serve time for, for those cases? Like, what happened? Honestly, it looks to me like he might have served, like, very short sentences or had gotten off on probation. Remember, a lot yeah. of times the, like... Victims of domestic violence might back out. And if you, you know, the prosecution can go forward with the case. Mm -hmm. But if you decide, like, I don't want to testify against so-and-so, it makes it harder on the prosecution. And sometimes they'll just drop the case. Um, And it seems like that was true for, for Joe Brown. He got away with it for so long because it just seems like the system was not working in favor of the survivors, you know. domestic violence yeah it was not working in their favor um but this is something that should have been flagged very early on yeah it makes you think about the role that the justice system plays in all of this you know and and it it kind of shows you like how the justice system failed demetria and i think also that the i think the lesson from all of this and something her mom probably would say is just you know, no matter how nice a stranger appears, just never get into a car with somebody you don't know. And I get it. Like if you guys go, you're going to go on the page on our website, you can look at pictures of Demetria, her mom, I put a picture up of Joe. So you get to see like, he is somebody who people would say is handsome, charming, like, but just remember, like, A lot of people wear masks, you know what I'm saying? And I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about the COVID mask. I mean, like, a literal mask, but technically figurative, right? Like, they have dual personalities. Some of them have more than one personality. You just kind of have to be careful because people will show you who they want to show you. You know what I'm saying? And it takes time to peel back the layers. So us as people generally right I'm not saying us as women us as men no us as a people we need to be aware of this and it doesn't mean to live in like this negative place and be a negative Nancy and like be super like pessimistic scared like scared all the time Mm -hmm. but it just means be aware right be aware of your like of who you're speaking to who you're forming connections with and stuff like that because Sometimes when the mask comes off, you don't have the opportunity to run. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? It's too late. And with mm-hmm. that, we wish um, Sharon and just Demetria's family just a lot of love and peace and uh, you know healing at the end of the day. That was a lot. No, it, it was. was it was deep. It was deep. It was intense. But it also mm-hmm. shows, I should say, a mother's love and a mm-hmm. mother's persistence. Because without her persistence, Sharon, I mean, this is amazing. The, what You know, the lengths you went for your daughter. Without her persistence, the case might have never been solved. That is true. But because of her bravery because her you know she had to put her emotions aside in all of this too mm-hmm. like just to try and get it done you know it's just it really is admirable And I'm sorry I'm sorry she had to go through it though and had to like you know really kick it into high gear all because of a, of a very tragic situation but I know Demetria is like looking down and thinking, wow, like what an amazing mom I have. And Mm -hmm. for Demetria's son to see it also, he just adores his grandmother. Um, It's just, you know, for a kid to see this also is just like amazing. You know, she, she took things into her own hands and she really went for it. And she wasn't afraid. I mean, not to Joe herself, like knocked on homeboy's door. You know what I'm saying? Like she did not care. She was like, I'm going to figure this out. And she sounds knew from the beginning. She's like a strong black queen. I mean, it sounds like. Hello, Miss Sharon. Kudos to you. Yes, Miss Sharon. Yes. Um, I, I mean, all around a tragic tale, but also lots of lessons to take away from this week's episode. So, with that being said that concludes the episode for sure this time and we'll see you guys next tuesday for a new episode of it's the mystery for me stay safe out there keep that head on a swivel y'all